0: but most of them know that uh you know uh that this is not sustainable. I mean, the whole uh, absurdity of negative interest rates, you pay people to take your money. uh, You know, and there's a lot of people right now, like a guy like Buffett, uh, he just sits on it. And uh, so it's a very defective system. So the Federal Reserve uh, on a daily basis will become less relevant. Uh, So if if you get to the point where conditions get much worse, which I expect they will, they will even be less relevant. They might not have a snap of the fingers in the Fed is gone but the authority of the Fed is going to dwindle just as our foreign policy and our our control of our empire is gonna continue to dwindle to the point where uh, we might have to do something like the Soviets did, just say, we've had it. Monetarily, I think that happens too. And that's why, you know, uh, one of my goals has been to uh, promote competing currencies uh, and let the people be prepared. And that is why I'm at this conference, not because I know very much about cryptocurrencies, although this is an alternative free market uh, goal to have money and, and be useful uh, because of the, the conditions that are coming uh, and uh, and we have to have something better than bartering so th- this is why we have to uh, talk about the metals and cryptocurrencies and let people decide uh, w- what is best so they are preparing for the end of the Fed really uh, because it, it's a failed system <laughs>
1: You jump straight into it?
2: Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it.
1: Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show.
2: I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow.
1: We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out.
2: You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice.
1: Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later.
2: Now, this episode, we are going to be doing a whirlwind tour of all the news from the last month. We had a feature episode last episode, so we've got a fair bit to catch up on, and there is... As always, a lot of good stuff going on.
1: We're going to be talking about a bunch of news. We're going to uh, cover a couple of the interesting blockchain headlines from the last few weeks.
2: We're also going to cover some future tech news with a highlight on AI-powered video editing.
1: We're also going to cover some augmented reality and VR news, notably Facebook's one-to-one mapping of the world in 3D through a new acquisition.
2: And then we'll look into the latest of transport as well. Uh, And There's some really exciting stuff for space travel, especially... Elon Musk looking to produce two reusable Starship rockets every week.
1: That is insane. Every week. So, uh, strap in. You're going to love this episode.
2: Just a bit of disclosure. This podcast is not investment or any other type of advice.
1: We're not saying you should buy anything at all.
2: Full disclosure, we're both personally invested in shares, funds, cryptocurrencies and even ideas, many of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about something you can buy, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. Yes. So, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks, mate? Uh,
1: there's been a bunch of stuff over the last few weeks. Um Oh, I've been watching the TV show Silicon Valley. Uh,
2: have you watched much of that before? Oh, uh, look, I only like YouTube videos that people have sent me. I've never actually dude, sat down and watched it. properly. Dude,
1: you need to you need to watch it. It's <laughs> so much fun. In fact, you would love it. right Yeah, now. I mean- you'd absolutely love it. It's all about it's all about seed funding, about you know people running startups. Just yeah, it's just it's got the startup culture entirely, and they're so funny. And yeah, gotta love it.
2: How far are you through?
1: Oh, I'm on season three, I believe oh
2: wow. okay,
1: yeah, start from season it's so it's so snackable, man
2: yeah, okay oh we yeah. uh my wife and I've just finished watching the office, so we might um perfect might sounds jump like you need it. she'll
1: she'll love it. There are some characters in there they're just so much fun
2: <laughs> awesome hey, what about you? um yeah, just um still working away on this super secret pro- project. Every week I say we're getting closer, um, and we are. But, um, yeah, that's kept me pretty busy. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I've been doing. Um, I've been listening to this book, actually, which isn't really related to tech at all, but um, it's just uh, super interesting. It's called um, Can't Hurt Me. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, Uh No. It's, like, always on top of, um, like, Audible's bestseller lists. And um, generally anything that's on top of Audible's bestseller lists, I... uh, you know, I, I generally don't get <laughs> Is that the David Goggins? Book? <laughs> That's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um just awesome, man. Like I've just um uh I, I bought it and um just been listening to it and it's it's brilliant. I'm I'm am I'm a big fan. So what's it all about? He he's lived a pretty crazy life, um and had all sorts of things go wrong and uh he basically just teaches you his principles for just living well like getting out of your um, getting out of your comfort zone building very very good habits and he's all about taking like responsibility accountability and you know he's, he's very big on like you know life's not going to help you no one's going to help you you just got to help yourself and he gives you all these strategies to help you based on his life story so um, yeah super super cool like because I just I, like I find even even though like I, I, I it seems like I get a lot done like I still waste a lot of time still not as fit as I'd like to be a whole bunch of other things and um, yeah man like it, it, ever since I've been reading this book like it has made a material difference in my life so um, wow yeah yeah really I, I, I'd recommend it to people if they're
1: oh they're David like Goggins he was on the Joe Rogan experience wasn't he Ah, oh, oh, was that's he that's I've heard
2: the name before oh
1: yeah okay. I've, I've seen the name recently but um, I'm actually going to add that Joe Rogan episode to my watch later on YouTube um I'll stick the 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 link in the show notes to that as well. I need to check that out.
2: Sounds awesome. Oh, it's it's awesome, man. Like I I, like I said, I could recommend it to anyone. Uh, I'm now going for a run every single day without fail because of this book. Wow. um, Yeah. Wow. Does it makes definitely makes a difference. Holy.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
2: So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Are you certain that you're private and safe online? If you're not, or if you just want to get some extra tips, you can check out our new resource at fomo.show slash privacy. It's this great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security.
1: And if you're new to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, check out our Blockchain Basics series, which covers the fundamentals. It starts from Episode 2 and continues until Episode 8.
2: All right, let's get into our news. So, first up, we've got some blockchain news.
1: 12% of Forbes's uh, top 50 fintech companies for 2020 are in blockchain.
2: Yeah, so carrying a blockchain and Bitcoin category tags, Forbes listed companies like Axony, Chainalysis, Boo, Coinbase, Everledger, <laughs> MakerDAO, and Ripple amongst its top 50 fintech list for 2020, which was released on Feb 12.
1: Yeah, so there were some other contenders on the list, which included companies such as Played, Open Door, and Lemonade. Isn't oh, that Lemonade
2: the insurance company? Yeah, love Lemonade. Um, they actually, have a for a pretty cool website. Oh man, mean. for our super secret project that I still can't talk about, we've actually yeah. taken a lot of inspiration from the uh, from the Lemonade website because they've just got Ooh. they've got a, just a super clean, crisp website. I, lo- I love. Oh, they them. have
1: one of the best websites I've ever seen. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Love it. Love it. Um, but yeah, they're categorized under payments, real estate and insurance respectively for open door and Lemonade. So yeah, lots of things, but uh, Bitcoin and blockchain seem to be uh, making a bit of headway. So I guess slow and steady.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you wouldn't have seen 12% of the top 50 fintech companies five years ago in Bitcoin and blockchain. So um, yeah, mm. they're definitely, there's definitely some companies out there doing really well, uh, which is mm. which is great. Um now, kind of related to that, uh, Australia has finally released their, I'm not going to say hotly anticipated, but probably <laughs> <laughs> probably longly awaited is, uh, is the best uh. way to describe this thing, uh, the, their blockchain roadmap.
1: Which has been described by myself as below average. Um, thanks to Pav for sharing this one in our Telegram chat the other week. But yeah... Um, Going into this, you know, agriculture, manufacturing and renewable energy are all ripe for blockchain power disruption, according to a new national strategy from the Australian government.
2: Yeah, and lifting directly from the, uh, from the report, they've said that as with any emerging disruptive, there's that word, technology, blockchain and its uses will need regulatory frameworks that are fit for purpose. Yep. Yes, uh, Challenges including main- include maintaining trust, um, on a trustless ledger, ensuring security of blockchain <laughs> systems and the integrity of data on a trustless ledger, identifying participants in blockchain systems, um, mm. yeah, no, no pesky pseudonymous hashing, uh, balancing privacy Ooh. with transparency, tech neutrality mm-hmm. and the legal status of smart contracts.
1: I love that they say balancing privacy with transparency directly after they say identifying everybody <laughs> who does
2: everything. Yeah, and it's funny, Look, mate, we've we've talked about this a fair bit, like offline. Um, you know, we we kind of like we're in this weird space now where part of us wants blockchain to succeed. You know, like we want some of the cool things that we've talked about um, in the past to succeed, but then like a, a whole a whole nother part of us wants it just to to fail miserably. You know, just because of because of this kind of stuff that that they're talking about now, you know.
1: Now, if you like that, the sound of that sort of uh, train of thought, uh, check out the Bitcoin PSYOP, which is a video that James Corbett did on his website, um, which talks about, yeah, the balance between, yeah, Bitcoin and blockchain and the idea of having private transactions versus blockchain being used to track everything that you do wherever you are now long story short with australia's blockchain roadmap they're saying look we want to know who you are uh what you're doing immutably Mm. so that you can never delete a record of what you've done
2: yeah yeah and uh the 52 page roadmap uh signposts the changes to regulation education and investment that are needed to make Australia an international blockchain leader they say. Um lol. <laughs> <laughs> and at present blockchain tech is used in the Australian financial and insurance industries. Um, and they've listed some current projects there too.
1: Yeah, so um, so some of the projects that are in uh, include the development of Chess. Now this is huge. Um, now if you buy if you're in Australia And you're an investor, so you buy shares or funds. Now, the Chess is the system that keeps the record of that. Now, I think it means something to do with something electronic clearinghouse. uh, uh, I can't remember. But Mm. it's basically where all of the share ownership and, and fund ownership records are held. And they're actually moving Chess to the blockchain. So that's huge because every investor in Australia... Um will have come across that, and'll we'll have had to fill out some chess forms. Uh, another project is that is Perth Mint, who is the largest refiner of uh, newly mined gold in the world they 've established the Perth mint gold token, so they they highlighted those as projects projects that are pretty exciting
2: yeah, and um it, it points to several industries outside the financial sector that are primed to <laughs> benefit from integrating blockchain, and one of the um I'm not, I just don't know whether they call it the weirdest or the least. It's, they, they've, they've highlighted the wine industry, which we haven't really heard much about, but is actually a, a very big industry in Australia. Um, and they've, they've pointed to the roughly like estimated $1.68 billion of counterfeiting losses in the wine industry in 2017. Um, and they've said that they're poised to take advantage of the transparency and data sharing eff- efficiencies of blockchain.
1: So yeah, by using blockchain to track inventory and facilitate automated payments between supply chain members, the wine industry could potentially save money and improve productivity. It hasn't actually said how that would actually cut down on, you know, counterfeit wine. But um yeah, other industries, including credentials and higher education, this is really interesting, I think. Like, you know, you get your your university degree from somewhere, they're set to benefit from being able to prove authenticity. Because current like when I moved to Australia I was asked by a, a business to send them the, the details of my university degree mm. and I contacted my uni and it ended up being too much effort. I had to pay them money to print out some paper and post it to me versus why not just have as soon as my degree is there, there should be a blockchain that says, Yep, you could just search degree certificates from different people and la 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 and yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's all there. So it's yeah, yeah. I yeah. I completely agree. I mean, there there are definitely ways where um, this tech can be harnessed to, to do great things like that. Um, it does briefly also mention the 30 businesses in Queensland's town of Agnes Waters and 1770 that accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment, um, but uh, doesn't really suggest how the, the payment side of blockchain can be built upon. And it, there is like a surprising lack of, um, <laughs> of focus on the payment side of blockchain in this blockchain roadmap. Which is strange because that's where the whole thing came from.
1: And probably because that signals an end to our current financial system. So it's probably best to ignore
2: that part. Yes. Yeah, don't talk about mm. the war.
1: Look, they do acknowledge, however, that the erosion of trust in social media banks and governments, that means that blockchain and other decentralized technologies are increasingly preferred to traditional me- intermediaries. So that's something.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Samsung's new Galaxy S20 will have cryptocurrency support. Yeah, so just like the previous S10, the their flagship phones will continue to support cryptocurrencies, but this time around it's no longer a main selling point. So, yeah. Um it's just kind of getting normalized.
2: Yeah, it's just it's becoming standard on a lot of these Android phones, which is which is actually really cool. Like I think it's just another step in building the infrastructure for this stuff. Um it's becoming a bit of an expectation now. So the payment rails are going in. And if, you know, if you want to pay with, with crypto, if you want to pay with Bitcoin or whatever else, um, phones are just going to support it out of the box mm. more and more now, which is which is awesome. I think it's just, it, it's it's a really good sign. Yeah.
1: And final piece of crypto news. Um, I was listening to the Third Row Tesla podcast. Uh, they had Elon Musk on. They all sat in a room with Elon Musk, and Elon Musk's brother was there as well. And they uh, just had a bit of a chinwag, really interesting podcast episode if you uh, want to have a bit of a listen to the story behind Tesla and some of the trials and tribulations they've been through. Um, but if you skip to one hour, 32 minutes and 58 seconds through, Elon gives a bit of a, he's asked what he thinks of Bitcoin um, because he was, he was an early uh, early member of PayPal um, and he gives his, uh, his opinion and, uh, we'll play it for you now.
2: And you love code, but you don't seem to be as bullish on Bitcoin. Do you have any, could you break down like why? Cause you're talking about this big database that's more secure for faster transactions. It seems like Bitcoin's hitting at least some of those.
3: I, I'm neither here nor there on Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. What did you think when you read like Satoshi's white paper for the first time? we like, oh, it's pretty interesting. That was pretty clever. It's 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 just like the things. (laughs) This this always gets like the crypto people angry, but (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, 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 there there are there are transactions that are um, not within the bounds of the law, Mm -hmm. um, and those and there are obviously many laws in different countries. and normally cash is used for these transactions mm-hmm. but but ca- but in order for illegal transactions to occur those the cash must also be used for legal transactions you need an, uh, an illegal to legal bridge
0: mm-hmm.
3: um that's where crypto comes in
0: so is it kind of the dark net stuff
3: it, it, it can't be entirely yeah. dark because otherwise how do you buy normal stuff
0: true
3: yeah it, and, and cash these days is used just much rarer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. It's like increasingly difficult to use cash. Some places you can't use cash at all. Yeah, true. So there's a, there's a forcing function for uh, transactions that are illegal, quasi legal and in some cases legal. But it's they've got to have some. It's got to be both legal and illegal. It Doesn't count otherwise. Otherwise, you simply it, it can't just be transactions within uh, an illegal economy. Because how do you buy like you know food in a house or something? You know some, you must have a legal-to-legal bridge. Um, so where I see crypto as effectively as a replacement for cash, but not as a replacement for as a primary uh, not, not as I do not see crypto being the primary database. So now this is, this is sometimes taken me like I'm being judgmental about crypto. And it's actually I think there's a lot of things that are illegal that shouldn't be illegal. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, so It's not as though I think that sometimes governments just have too many laws about the that they should have so many things that are illegal.
1: What is really interesting is just after this segment, he does talk about laws on Mars and Mm. how current laws are actually really overly complicated. It's really interesting how money and law is actually tied very interestingly together in this piece. Um, But yeah, uh, interesting little piece from our Lord and Savior Elon Musk.
2: Jump into our future tech news now. Uh, The first bit of news, Google Dataset Search is now out of beta and it's live.
1: Yeah, so Google's Dataset Search has indexed almost 25 million Datasets, giving you a single place to search for Datasets and find links to where data
2: is. Now, over the past year, people have tried it out and they've provided feedback and now it's officially out of beta. So you can go and check it out at DatasetSearch.Research.Google.com
1: having a place to be able to find data sets that's really part of the future that tim berners lee really loved is that you know he was he was all about interlinked data and interlinked ideas like that so yeah it's really cool and it really shows where we're going in the future so in the future when you want to be able to find you know what is the population of australia or what is the taxation rate in australia over time now i've I actually googled that rate right the other day but I couldn't find the data behind it. I wanted to find what what was it this year and what was it the year before and the year before that. But having a data set search is, you know, especially in the future is going to be so useful.
2: Mm, and I just ran that search then and it's given me a whole bunch of sources. So this is amazing the way it like it can it can find all this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, this actually would have been really useful for some of the things I was doing not that long ago. Oh, mate. Trying to find data on stuff. So Yeah,
1: so you can yeah, search like great. Australia population and there's like it gives you a bunch of results, hundred plus data sets. You can search amongst formats and the usage rights and yeah, awesome. This
2: is this is unreal. Yeah, so definitely go go check that out. Um, I'm, I shouldn't be playing with it while we're recording, but um yeah, yeah go click on the link and, and and play around with it. It looks mm-hmm. great.
1: Next bit of future tech news: uh, Microsoft are uh, introducing a dual screen operating system.
2: Yeah, so they've created a device experience that gives you the option to benefit from a larger screen and have two defined screens, so you can do more on a single device.
1: Yeah, now check out the link in the show notes. Um, but long story short, it's it it's looks pretty awesome. Of what um, there's there's a new Microsoft device. I think it was called the Surface Duo um Mm. and it's a two-screened tablet that you can that you can use now we'll put the link to that in the show notes as well but it looks amazing so having a tablet that's you open up and it's almost like a little book um each page you can control independently um play the video on that it's it's got some really cool concepts of where this stuff is going and it's available Mm. for developers so if you build stuff it's really cool because you could make a you know for example let's take a really basic example of like a weather app you could have the root weather on the left hand side and then you could have on the right hand side you know the the hour by hour forecast so you could scroll down one side while the other one stays the same and both screens work together so really interesting
2: yeah yeah the video kind of tells the story a lot better than we can probably tell it on the on the podcast um but yeah, even just watching this, you know, lady go sit down with her <laughs> <laughs> her Surface. It kind of looks like a book, and then she folds a keyboard out, and everything kind of works. And everything kind of works way more responsively than I've ever seen a Surface work because mine definitely mm. is not that responsive. Um, but. If they can, uh, if they can pull it off, it, it looks it looks really really cool. Mm. Um, it's made, uh, One thing like this is completely off the topic of the surface itself, but one thing that's really amazed me uh, or just intrigued me anyway is watching the, the like the like, not the battle, but I guess the differences between Apple and Microsoft over the last twenty years. Because like if you look at Apple from say when Steve Jobs took back over all the way through to I don't know, like 2012, 2013 or something, um, they were really pushing the boundaries, really developing uh, like cool, functional new technology Mm. and everyone was playing catch up. And ever since Jobs has obviously passed away and Tim Cook's taken over, they've definitely been a lot more safe. And it's almost been like at the same time Microsoft hired Satya Nadella, a CEO, they've just like completely shifted their thinking and started really pushing the boundaries in a lot of ways that, I almost feel like they're kind of doing what Apple did 10, 15 years ago mm. with a lot of this device tech. Uh, because Surface, is, like Surface has got a huge market penetration now. Like particularly in, in the business setting, um, they're becoming a big favorite for a lot of businesses to use. And uh, yeah, look, like looking at this, I mean, this is something I would have expected from Apple 10 years ago, this Surface Duo.
1: This is a really random piece of news, but really cool nonetheless. A graphene amplifier unlocks hidden frequencies in the electromagnetic spectrum.
2: Yeah, so researchers have created a unique device which will unlock the elusive terahertz wavelengths and make revolutionary new technologies possible, they say.
1: Now, terahertz waves sit between microwaves and infrared in the light frequency spectrum. Uh, But due to their low energy, scientists have been unable to harness their potential. The conundrum is known in scientific circles as the terahertz gap.
2: Now, a team of physicists have created a new type of optical transistor, a working terahertz amplifier, using graphene and a high-temperature superconductor. And the physics behind the simple amplifier relies on the properties of graphene, which is transparent and is not sensitive to light. And graphene electrons actually have no mass as well. Um, So it's made up of two layers of graphene and a superconductor that trap the graphene massless electrons between them, like a sandwich.
1: Loved sandwiches. Who can disagree with that? <laughs> um, yeah, the d- the device is then connected to a power source, and when the terahertz radiation hits the graphene outer layer, the trapped particles inside attach themselves to the outgoing waves, amplifying them. So, long story short, um, it just means that we're going to be able to get, I guess, faster wave wave based stuff, uh, Wi Fi. Yeah, things. yeah, and I
0: think
2: higher capacity too. Like, I mean, the the the, the benefits for this for Things like wireless communications, probably radio imaging, um, anything that uses relies on wireless could be could be pretty crazy. I mean, I was reading this and getting really excited myself. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a bold new frontier, and I, I just I don't think any of us probably know where it's gonna gonna take us, but it's probably gonna unlock some pretty cool new uh, possibilities. So next bit of news, um, this is a really cool piece out of Wired, um, and they've talked about how AI will turn us all into filmmakers.
1: Now, they start off as artificial intelligence sneaks its way into all corners of life, driving finance chatbots, everyday video will become ripe for an upgrade.
2: They say that in high school, Mackenzie Leak shot a movie, gave her a punishing lesson in editing video. Leek spent countless hours over the course of weeks scrubbing through her footage to find the best shots, then painstakingly assembling them. And she said it's a ton of grunt work.
1: As somebody who works in marketing for the day-to-day, when you shoot video, you get a load of footage and scrubbing through them to find those good shots is a nightmare. It is a ton of grunt work, as she says. But interestingly, seven years later, um, Mackenzie is trying to accelerate the process. Um, She's a graduate student in computer science at Stanford, um, and Leek is working with a team to make a piece of software that automatically analyzes scripted film footage.
2: Yeah, so the program uses AI to recognize faces and shot types and even transcribes the spoken words so it knows where each frame ought to line up with the dialogue. And once the AI has done its work, you can specify the style of shot you'd like to use in your edit, full frame, close-ups, wide shots, and voila. The software splices together a take using all those parameters.
1: So, in essence, it's a robot that produces a surprisingly decent-looking result in a few seconds. And if you don't like the edit, you can have it generate a new one.
2: Welcome to the future. Absolutely. But it's but it. it may, I mean, it, the, the the thing about this, like, I don't think anyone expects it to generate um, you know, perfect film footage the first time. But what it what it probably does uh, is it cuts down on a lot of that. Yeah. Absolutely, back and forth, yeah. you know, yeah. like all yeah. the menial stuff that I'm sure you just sit there thinking, this, this, this is repeatable. This is um, quite confined. Like this could be automated, but there's just hasn't been any way to do that up until now.
1: Absolutely. Well, just let's just take an example. I was filming an event the other month. Um, now I just picked up my camera, I stuck it on a little stabilizer to get some smooth shots, and I took loads and loads of footage. When you put the idea of AI into this. I could just shoot all of the footage and then just stick it somewhere. And then an AI could literally just come in and say, okay, cool. This is the rough sort of idea. What do you reckon of this? What do you reckon of this? So here are 13 different ideas for how you could start this video. Here's the main Mm. part. And here's the final bit. And then slap your logo in at the end and you're done. So it's like it really could save. Like I would love, honestly, I would love to just be able to upload my footage and just say, go nuts, give me some options. And it gives me 20 different options and I can get something that's 90% of what I want and then cut the rest. And it's the same with building a website. You just want something that's 90% of what you want and you do the rest.
2: Exactly right. I mean, that's why we use templates for that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It gets you most of the way there you know cuz that's always the hardest part it's starting it's like coming up with something from a blank canvas particu- particularly digitally is like really tough like mm. you spend a lot of time kind of toing and froing whereas if you've got something to base it upon yep, even yep, if you yep, end yep, up yep, like converting 90% of it to something else like it just gets you started
1: yeah and that's the really hard part because <laughs> it's just, it's such a it's such a fine art getting it right but Mm. You know, imagine if you had the access to the entire of YouTube and you could look at everything that YouTube did really well and then chopped it together nicely, that would be what it would be. And speaking of yeah. which, let's go into the next piece of news.
2: Yeah, so this is about Autoflip, which is something from Google and it's an open source framework for intelligent video reframing. Now, videos filmed and edited for television and desktop particular typically created and viewed in landscape aspect ratio, so like 16.9 or 4.3, but with an increasing number of users creating and consuming content on mobile, particularly in a portrait viewpoint, um, those aspect ratios generally just aren't what, what we need at all for the mobile.
1: Basically, taking a video that was shot really professionally on the regular dimension, Auto flip by Google analyzes the content, develops optimal tracking and cropping strategies and produces a video output which um, can come in a different um, aspect ratio. So you could shoot all your video in landscape and Google will make some content that could go up to Instagram.
2: Yeah, and that that just like cuts down on a lot of the time that content creators spend trying to optimize things for different platforms and like get – get things right, and it also means that you can use your co- content in a bunch of different contexts as well. So you don't have to be limited to that Absolutely. portrait use. You can, you can push it out across your different platforms and it will look different in each, but you won't lose much. So next in the news, uh, Dice have come up with the, a list of the hottest jobs in tech. Yeah,
1: and software developer ranks as a top tech job while data engineer is the fastest growing.
2: Yeah, now they drew these conclusions by analysing 6 million 2019 job postings in the United States using a database provided by Burning Glass Technologies, which aggregated data from employer sites, job boards, and staffing agencies.
1: Now, after filtering for information technology jobs, they found that a whopping 12% of all tech job listings in 2019 saw software developers um, keeping that tech profession in First place. Uh, Network engineer came in second, followed by systems engineer.
2: The list, I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect by looking at a, a, a tech list like this. But there's other there are other jobs in there, senior software developer, application tester, IT project manager, and cybersecurity engineer, interestingly mm. enough, is now in the top 10 tech occupations, which kind of signals the way that the industry is going as a whole.
1: Yeah, now I work for a cybersecurity company and I can 100% attest network people, cybersecurity people, software people, very in the world. Absolutely.
2: Mm.
1: Really interesting. You've got, yeah, data engineers, back-end developers uh, for fastest-growing tech op- uh, occupations, data scientists, CRM developers, so that's just managing the, the data for all of the contacts for a business, Uh, user interface developers, Python developers, loads of other developers. Basically, if you can develop things, uh, you're in the money.
2: Awesome. I know what I'm teaching my kid.
1: Let's jump into our augmented reality virtual reality news. Now, first one, this is a piece that was out of CES, which is the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, Bosch, the German uh, tech giant, they've got smart glasses right with tiny eyeball lasers. This is a piece that is out of the IEEE Spectrum magazine. Now, basically, they've made a set of glasses that point a tiny laser array um, into your retina, which paints images onto your
2: eyes. This was a really interesting piece because it actually was written from the perspective of a reporter who went to the CES to actually demo the smart glasses, and he's put it together really well, and we thought it might be useful to give... Listeners a perspective from someone who's actually tried this out.
1: So he started off saying the reason that Bosch was somewhat reluctant to squeeze me in for a demo is that you can't just slap these prototype smart glasses onto your face and fire them up. They almost certainly won't work unless you get a custom fitting.
2: For this to work, the lasers have to pass cleanly through your pupil, which means that the frame and lenses have to be carefully fitted to the geometry of your face. Frames with prescription lenses work fine. And if anything gets misaligned, you won't see the image. So the whole fitting process takes just a few minutes and the prototype glasses were reasonably forgiving, he said. You could wiggle them around a bit or reposition them slightly without causing the image to disappear. The downside, of course, is that buying a pair will involve extra steps, which presents a minor hurdle to adoption.
1: Please do click through to the link in the show notes. You'll see a few um, accompanying photographs because he had to get someone to fit These glasses to him so that he could see what this smart glasses future was like.
2: Yeah, and he said that as soon as the contextual display is turned on, you see a bright, sharp, colourful image hanging right out in front of you. The concept video doesn't really do it justice. It looks great. It takes up just a small part of your total field of view so it's not overwhelming it's large enough to contain some easily visible text and icons.
1: Like some of the other augmented reality startups like Magic Leap that you would have seen with the, their demos having you know you could put the glasses on and you can see a, a whale jumping out of you know the the ground in front of you or whatever. but this is intended to display really helpful contextual information just when you need it. So if you want a direction somewhere, it just points an arrow over your vision so you can just see which way you need to go.
2: And this sounds really attractive because it's – I mean, we us who've played games, we understand the idea of an overlay, like a heads-up display, which kind of gives you the information you need but doesn't get in your way. It just – it's there for reference if you need it. And I think that's something that would be really, really useful, particularly as we start to augment our world more and more. Um, I could definitely find that useful, you know, having having bits of information that I want – pop up when I need it. Mm,
1: mm. Now, the next piece is from uh, Facebook. They've bought an augmented reality startup that are trying to build a one-to-one digital map of the physical
2: world. Yeah, this is wild. So they've, they've reportedly acquired Scape Technologies, a UK augmented reality startup. Uh, they estimate the purchase price to be around $40 million, And Scape's technology is about creating a one-to-one digital representation of the physical world uh, it's as much a mapping company as an AR startup.
1: Yeah, so it's trying to uh, to build an infrastructure for the next generation of spatial computing devices, they're calling it, which includes wearables, autonomous vehicles, Bosch glasses like we just talked about, and, and other devices.
2: Scape want to make any physical location or place capable of displaying AR content, and the challenge has to be uh, location precision. So Scape has created a 3D renderings of the world with location precision that don't rely on current location technologies like cell tower triangulation, GPS or reverse IP targeting. And the company claims its visual positioning system provides centimetre-level location recognition at a previously unprecedented scale.
1: Yeah, so they were partially inspired by Pokemon Go, and there are a bunch of applications in architecture, urban planning, education, gaming and entertainment. But most interestingly, I think this is a really interesting competitor to uh, Google Maps' AR. Um, Now, if Mm. anybody who's on a newer Android phone and you open Google Maps, you can actually, if you're looking, I actually tried this out when I was in Melbourne recently. I wanted directions somewhere, so I searched for the place that I wanted to go, uh, and then I went on to, um, let's. uh, I clicked go for like give me directions, but then I uh, clicked on the button to give me AR directions. It basically says Hmm. move your phone around and point at the nearby buildings. So you point at the nearby buildings, Google cross references that against what it's picked up in its street maps information um, from the cars that drive around. It recognises the buildings and then it overlays your f- wherever you're holding your phone with a direction arrow that points you to where you need
2: to go. Yeah, right. And so, did, and how you how you find it? It
1: was incredible. So I said, "Oh, I need to. I'm looking for this cafe," and I it goes, "Okay, point your phone at the nearest buildings." So I pointed my phone around. And then it overlaid on my phone um, a dotted line across the real street in front of me in real time. So I was giving Google information about what I was looking at, but there was a dotted line that it superimposed saying you need to walk down here and then take the left here and then it's there. So it actually had full on arrows overlaying what was in front of me.
2: Wow! Okay. Was, how, how was battery life?
1: It was incredible. Now I'm running a Google Pixel, so I guess it was optimized for that. But it didn't yep. actually like hog a huge amount of battery. Okay. So I used it numerous times during my trip to Melbourne. But yeah, it was insane.
2: Oh wow! Mm. That sounds that sounds unreal. Mm. And and I guess it, like this 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 does seem like a like a competitive play from Facebook. But I mean. I'm just thinking of like the, all, the, all the different applications for, for this kind of tech. I mean, um, the project that I'm working on, it's, um, it's really important that we can, you know, we can look at topo- some topology, some real world topology mm-hmm. um, and kind of get, a, get an idea of how things look from different locations. And I mean, if, the, if they're doing what they say they're doing, basically creating a one-to-one digital representation of the physical world, I mean, you think of the amount of jobs that re- that revolve around surveying, that revolve around mm. like going out and looking at physical places and instead of doing that, like being able to stand in a position and, you know, have all these tools at your disposal as well, like, not just what you've got in the real world, but what you'd have in a digital world. Mm. Um that's going to be super powerful. Well, yeah. That's going to be very, very, very powerful.
1: And I have almost no doubt that when I was holding my phone up to that building to try and get g- tell Google where I was so it could tell me where I needed to go, that mm. data was probably feeding into Google to say, here's a, an updated image of what this building looks like in 2020 January.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and updating Google Earth, updating all their other things going on behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, wow. Pretty exciting.
2: Oh, mate. It's crazy. Uh, so, next bit of news, um, AR and VR engineers have replaced blockchain programmers as the hottest commodity.
1: Yes, uh, AR, VR jobs are hot, with demand surging 1,400% in 2019, according to a new State of Software Engineers report by the job Height Hired.
2: Yeah, and this means that AR and VR knowledge is the hot new thing, supplanting so blockchain engineers who, according to Hired's data, were in demand a year ago. In the last year's report, uh, blockchain engineers demand grew 570% year on year. So this is actually three times the amount uh, that I remember last year we covered this, I think, and we were talking about blockchain engineer demand and we were, we were blown away by that. But this is um, almost three times as much.
1: Pretty crazy. So it just goes to show, like all the applications of AR VR, they're way easier to attain right now than blockchain Mm. stuff. So yeah, no wonder there's some hype. Like when you're seeing what people are doing with it, like Google's Maps VR stuff, and you think about what, like, you you, let's say you had a, a golf course, you could turn that into VR. You could map every hole. You could give wind directions in real time. You could give you know, approximate. You know, here's where you need to aim your thing or whatever. There's a lot of potential. Or a museum, you could do a virtual tour. If you have an office, you could do a ah. Oh, here's all the different teams. To here's which way to find the coffee machine. Um, here's where our toilets are. You know, just really basic things. But mm. Th- mm. that tech is super exciting. And yeah, what's that space.
2: But we've got a roadmap now.
1: Australia have a roadmap. That's right. Which means there must be a road somewhere.
2: If everything is different. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Nothing will ever Changes be the Changes come. <laughs> Last little bit, uh, I was thinking the other week about, you know, how AR and VR stuff is going to take, like, move into the exercise space. And I actually Googled. Mm. I was like, "What is there such a thing as, like, guided – like, I was thinking about doing yoga at home. And I was like, yeah. I'd love to have a yoga lesson at home. And then I just YouTubed Tai Chi VR – You've actually got Oculus Rift powered Tai Chi sessions where you could drop yourself into this, you know, you know, absolutely beautiful meadow with like long grass and rivers and, you know, pan pipe music playing in the background. And with your two little handsets, it will tell you how to do Tai Chi. Wow. And that's the future, man. Like, it's actually the future. And watch the video. uh, We put it in the show notes, a guided Tai Chi YouTube link. Uh, It's just a trailer to a thing. But it just shows the very start of where we're up to. Like, you're going to be able to just stand at the top of this really tall mountain overlooking islands and tropical lands. And it will will tell you where to move your arms really slowly in 3D space. And the 3D space part is really important because it's like, this is helping you actually get yeah, you know, healthy and better and a non sore back. You get points for it, and you can see birds flying around. How cool is that?
2: That is so cool. That's what I want to work in. Like I'd love to be able to like have that kind of backdrop to to work in. Uh, you know, like you were saying, on top of an island or a mountain, or but it makes so much sense for meditation because that's the kind of you want to go somewhere. Yeah. Different. And uh, whereas you're talking is, about that's writing, that's amazing, writing mate. I'm actually documents. I'm actually blown away. <laughs>
1: What's that? You're talking about writing legal documents in tropical (laughs) paradise.
2: (laughs) Brilliant. Anything to make it more paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, it looks nuts. Uh, So
1: yeah, check out the trailer.
2: Yeah, that looks unreal. Okay, on our privacy news. um, There are now ultrasonic... ...bracelets which can jam the microphones around you.
1: Yeah, this is a research project from the University of Chicago. These researchers have built this experimental bracelet that has 24 different speakers designed to jam most microphones no matter which direction they're in.
2: Yeah, the gadget takes advantage of non-linearities in its built-in amplifier to leak ultrasonic noise into the audible range and render recordings useless... And the bracelet design isn't just for the sake of fashion. It's, it not only ensures omnidirectional jamming, it eliminates blind spots where transducers cancel each other out through your wrist movement. And as a result, it's more effective than dedicated stationary jammers and can even scramble hidden mics. Yeah, you're not
1: going to be able to use this prototype bracelet tomorrow it's a bit clunky and the internals you know there's a lot of different boards and things behind it you could actually build this type of thing for about 20 us dollars but you know it, it really goes to show you know in our current world where people are you know recording people undercover and stuff like that it's a really interesting move you know just like the the fact that even someone's making it as a research project This is actually something that some people will want because they're worried that people are going to spy on them.
2: Yeah, it's like this kind of thing. Like, it's quite cheap. Like, once they got it mass-produced, like, it would be quite cheap to break a lot of very expensive surveillance and it would actually make it so much more expensive to try and get around it. So, um yeah, it could be very, very powerful.
1: So, watch this space in 2021. It's your first day as a public servant and they hand you one of these bracelets and they say, look, this protects you from people who want to do you harm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs>
1: uh, all right, let's move on to some general world news.
2: Cool. Um, so, first bit of news, a, a car splatometer test... are revealing a huge decline in the number of insects in the world. Yeah,
1: research has shown abundance at sites in Europe has plunged by up to 80% in two decades.
2: Two scientific studies of the number of insects splattered by cars have revealed a huge decline in the insects, and they've actually said that the, um, the, the research adds to what a lot of scientists are calling an insect apocalypse, which is threatening a collapse in the natural world that sustains humans and all life on Earth.
1: Yeah, a third study even showed plummeting numbers in aquatic insects in streams. Now, the survey of insects hitting cars in rural Denmark used data collected every summer from 1997 to 2017 and found that 80% decline in abundance. It found a parallel decline in the number of swallows and martins, which are birds that live on those insects.
2: Yeah, well, the second survey in the UK county of Kent examined splats in a grid placed over car registration plates known as a splatometer. And this revealed 50% fewer impacts than in 2004. The research included vintage cars up to 70 years old to see if their less aerodynamic shape meant they killed more bugs, but it actually found that modern cars hit slightly more insects than the older types of cars.
1: So if insects go... uh some of those birds that are related, as they've mentioned, also go. The bees go. Yeah. We go.
2: Yeah. And it is it, it was funny, man, when I was reading this, I kinda thought back to the last few years when I've driven out to the country, for example, to, to our farm. Yeah. And uh and I do remember like back when I was younger, we used to uh, we used to have to clean bugs off our windscreen all the time. Like it was just you would always hit them, particularly like at twilight or at night time just be thunk 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 like all the time and uh even when we've traveled out there and we've driven back you know late at night um i just i, I don't remember one time in the last few years where we've had a huge amount of insects on our windscreen
1: and it it's probably just a coincidence that we've been spraying all of the fields for crops <laughs> with neonicotinoid pesticides for well over two decades now. So, yeah, anyway, nothing to worry about there. Anyway, cool. Right, well, let's move on from that. Um, the world food supply is actually increasing faster than population growth.
2: Yeah, this is from nextbigfuture.com, and they've said the world population is – are going at about 1.1% each year. And world food production is increasing at a faster rate. Yeah, so if
1: we were only able to have food production keep pace with population growth from 1996, we would have 2.48 billion tons of cereal production. Um, that was an, There was an 8.8% increase in food levels compared to 96. So long story short, they've only been comparing this with cereal production, but there is a huge amount of production of food um, which is actually beating the population growth rates. Uh, that's kind of a good sign in a way.
2: Um- it is, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of talk about a global famine about ten years ago because we just weren't tracking. We weren't really tracking the right way to have enough food for everyone. Um, obviously, a lot of people were living in poverty and weren't getting food. But um, but yeah, like it's it's looking like that the increases in food technology combined with um, just the you know the way that the land is being used now as yeah, well, and probably is, yeah. Uh, yeah, the techniques are changing too. Um, uh, mm. Where you know we're we're we're, we're improving. We're, we're 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 producing more food than we are people.
1: All hope is not lost. We're actually going on a pretty good way there. Mm. There are just no insects.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 on to the next crisis. <laughs> um, oh it 's okay. We can make some uh, some me- mechanical insects, just like that black mirror episode transport news let 's do it so in our uh, transport news, Tesla is building a pilot battery cell manufacturing line in Fremont, which, which is uh, and they 're getting into the cell business yeah
1: so they 're building a pilot battery cell uh, manufacturing line in Fremont and designing their own equipment to produce the cells, so for a few months. Tesla has been rumoured to be working on making its own battery cells for its electric vehicles. Now, up until now, Tesla has been working close with Pan- closely with Panasonic for years um, as the partner for making batteries. Now, there have been a number of uh, pieces of news that have made it onto actual yeah news sites about uh, disagreements with Panasonic and some letdowns from Panasonic about the the volume of batteries. Now. Um, yeah, Tesla decided that they were going to start making their own.
2: Yeah, and it makes sense because uh, like they, they rely so much on their batteries. Their batteries are an integral part of their vehicles, and it does actually seem to be the, the part of their vehicles that's laying them down the most at the moment. And so it started with the acquisition of Maxwell, who are a supercapacitor manufacturer with some battery cell technology, And later at its annual shareholders meeting, Tesla all but confirmed that it's going to manufacture its own battery cells. So
1: it's going to be a brand new product line for Tesla. Uh, The cells produced on their new pilot production line would be the first official cells manufactured by Tesla. Bit of self-sustainability, and it just means more control for them, more money for them. And in the long term, because it takes a lot of money to create something from scratch, but in the long term, that could mean more potential money for them.
2: Mm, mm. And uh, Musk does want more batteries. I mean, he's, he even vented about the apparent disconnect during one of the investor meetings on, in January 2019, mentioning that Tesla was cell starved for vehicle production.
1: Yes, uh, Panasonic, who uh, were operating production lines in Tesla's Nevada Gigafactory, couldn't supply batteries at the rate that he expected them to, which was slowing down their output.
2: Yeah, and although Musk has maintained that the relationship with Panasonic hadn't broken down, their ambitious acquisitions do paint a bit of a different picture, and uh, Tesla did attempt to develop its own batteries several years before the launch of Model S, uh, but ended up discarding the project as it proved too expensive.
1: But now they got a ton of money, the share price is massive, now... Um, The interesting thing to note is that Elon Musk, the way he raises money is that he takes loans against the shareholding that he owns in his businesses. Now, I bought a Tesla share uh, just less than a year ago. The the shares have gone up like 100% since then. So you can see Musk, he could just go to the bank and he can say, okay, I want to take out a loan against these shares, which are 100% higher than they were a year ago, which means I can get twice as much money from the bank. Yeah. So it makes yeah. it easier for him to produce them.
2: Everything he does, just it's so intelligent and, um, and, and outside of the box. And it's, Yeah, his funding model is a really interesting study in a way that a founder can continually uh, raise capital that's needed for his company, um, basically leveraging his own shareholding, mm. which is very interesting. Mm. So next bit of news, uh, the first electric fire truck in US has found a buyer. And that's Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, the Los Angeles Fire Department, the LAFT uh, LAFD, they're going to be the first. Wow. <laughs> they're going to be the first North American agency to take delivery of an electric fire truck from an Austrian firm called Rosenbauer.
2: Mm, so the single fire truck is scheduled to be delivered in twenty one and will likely be assigned to a fire station in Hollywood, according to an LAFD press release. And, Oh, of course it's going to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technically, the truck
1: isn't a fully electric vehicle. It's a range extended electric vehicle. It will have two battery packs with a combined capacity of 100 kilowatt hours, allowing for about two hours of all electric operation, according to Rosenbauer. That will cover 90% of use cases, the company have said.
2: Yeah, so for the other 10%, the longer duration operations, the truck will also be equipped with a diesel range extender. And the vehicle will be a production-ready version of rolls and Bauer's Concept Firetruck, or CFT, SUFT, (laughs) uh, which... I did
1: not need an acronym, but all right.
2: (laughs) which which was first shown to the public in 2016. Yeah, so in
1: addition to their extended range electric powertrain, the CFT featured other design innovations, including more compact proportions than traditional tr- fire trucks, as well as digital information screens and connect- connectivity features that seem to be obligatory in all modern vehicles. So I'm guessing they mean to say it has Bluetooth.
2: Yes, yes. Although, like, if if, if they... If they were going the electric vehicle route. I mean, imagine if you hopped in and it's just like a Tesla. Like, it's just all screens. Oh, that would be... St- you know? Yep. Ugh. Kane. Anyway. So, yeah. Probably not. I mean, CFT sounds more like a tax. Uh, like something <laughs> a accountant would write on their sheet, doesn't it? So it's probably very Spartan. Um, Rosenbauer expects up to 400 vehicles based on the CFT design to be operating in North America by 2025. So, um, not a huge amount of vehicles, actually. I thought they'd be trying to get more in there, but... Um, yeah, 400. Yeah,
1: so one this year and then uh, 399 from between next year and 2025. <laughs> nice. Amazon patented a system that literally whips stuff into orbit.
2: Yeah, so a newly published patent dating back to 2017 lays out plans for a ship-based launch system that whips payloads into orbit using a miles-long whip that is being guided by a whole bunch of drones. And the goal is to increase energy efficiency by reducing the fuel needed to get to altitude.
1: Yeah, so the, the system was dreamed up by an Amazon Air VP, uh, Gur Kimichi, and the winningly named senior Amazon inventor, Louis Leroy Legrand III. Uh, is <laughs> Sounds surpri- like an NFL player. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, surprisingly detailed in their patent application.
2: Uh, So it's an unusual concept A miles long whip uh, is attached to a boat on one end And a drone carrying the payload on the other end A series of additional drones attached to the length of the whip Fly up and down to generate a whip waveform The end with the payload then cracks like a whip Sending the payload flying
1: and uh, yeah, the system could be scaled down to even fling smaller packages attached to aerial vehicles into the air as well. Payloads could even be flung from planes mid-air. But uh, the main focus of the application is on space space-based applications, um, satellites.
2: Yeah, I, I would love to see what they're um, what they're encasing this this stuff into. Like, because I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of force, and uh, and yeah like I mean if you can't really have a satellite being whipped in a space um, you know not covered and you know wrapped in bubble wrap or something, um, so it'll need to it'll need to um to to stand up for some pretty serious G's won't it so mm. yeah I, I can't wait to see some more of the designs around this. It looks really, really cool.
1: yeah, it's really crazy. there's an interesting little diagram they've included, but yeah, watch this space.
2: So, last bit of news, uh, SpaceX plans Starship Gigafactories to introduce the hypersonic age. Yeah, in
1: 2021, Elon Musk plans to scale the workforce at Boca Chica, which I think is in California, to 3,000 employees to eventually manufacture two SpaceX Starships every week.
2: Yeah, and they are only um, currently 300 employees and this manufacturing rate will be comparable to the speed of construction of commercial wide-body airplanes.
1: So... Elon has said that mass production will bring the cost of Starship down to $5 million. There'll be six Raptor engines. So this means the mass production of Raptor engines at less than a million dollars per engine. So what yeah. he's doing, he's, he's, listen to that. that, that what they're saying is two SpaceX Starships every week. Now there are 52 weeks a year. That's a hundred and, a hundred and four, I'm doing my math, 104 Starships every year. That's a lot of That's things. unreal. And that's all that reusable unreal. and ev- and and yeah. ev- yeah, those, those things reusable. can land
2: themselves. Yeah, and look we do we we will be doing a full show on space in the near future because um it is actually starting to get closer and closer to reality. I feel like for most of our lives growing up we've had to kind of temper our expectations, but through Musk and a few other people um and just the the advances we're seeing, I mean, we're not that far from moon bases now. We're not that mm. far from Pulling, at, uh, landing on asteroids and starting to mine the things. Um, and that's really what Musk has a lot of his sights set on, is, is getting up into orbit and then building things up there and using that as a launch pad to the to the solar system. Mm, mm.
1: So, I mean, they're, they're really bringing the hypersonic age into being. I mean, these are hypersonic vehicles. The Starship can fly at Mach 15 to Mach 26. The super heavy Starship will be more expensive, but a heavier payload capacity, but they're also hypersonic vehicles.
2: Yeah, and that means SpaceX is going to be ahead of all those trying to build hypersonic airplane. Now, there there are competitors. Um, Blue Origin is targeting 2021 for commercial orbital launches. Um,
1: Yeah, the New Glenn rocket, I think is what they're calling it. Um, mm, Yeah, that's their mm, first-stage reusable equivalent to the Falcon Heavy um, class rocket.
2: Yep. Yep, and if they're successful on schedule with New Glenn, then Blue Origin will be about three years behind SpaceX. So but that would
1: still be the second most advanced. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, um, there comes a point, mate, where you have to just you have to just stop doubting Musk, don't you? Like everyone's been saying, oh, they're going to run out of money soon, they're going to go broke soon, blah blah blah. But everything's pointing to them pushing further and further ahead.
1: He's got a big old middle finger held up to the rest of us. <laughs>
2: Now, China has several space rocket startups that are performing SpaceX Grasshopper or Falcon 9R style launches too. So,
1: just more competition, just more awesome stuff, more stuff into space, more things that can fall on your head ultimately from space.
2: Yep. Great. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show.
2: And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube.
1: That's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember,
1: now Fama The first headline: Twelve percent of blockchain. Hmm?
2: is she. Is she coming through too? Or uh,
1: not anymore? No.
2: Okay, cool. <laughs> when you open, I
1: think you opened the door, and then I just heard a old oh, yeah. chat. She's she's very vocal.
2: <laughs> she's playing it. Yeah, she is. She's very vocal. She's playing <laughs> out there. <laughs> oh, cool.
1: Nah, we're all good. Um, awesome. Oh, and that's got rid of the rumble, by the way. Anyway. Great. When the first Microsoft Surface came out, I spent the entire summer. I was on my uni holidays, um, so I was working at an ad agency. I worked every single day saving up money to buy one of these new Microsoft Surfaces, the very first version that came out, yeah, because cool. I saw the Microsoft Surface launch and I was sold by it. So I saved up all summer uh, to buy the cheapest one of the lot and it turned out I bought the one that had the limited version of – it was the Surface RT. Oh,
2: no, RT. Yeah.
1: And uh, that was six months of my life was spent – well, it was like four months of my life was spent working hard to buy a terrible tablet. So I'm still a bit sore but I love where they're going.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, mate, I feel for you. That's – (laughs) <laughs> it's horrible yeah, yeah, yeah. for anyone that doesn't know r t was like so the surface was surface was kind of promised as this like tablet but fully functional windows pc mm. and the r t was just like this abortion of a of a like a very stripped down version of the surface that had its own like own operating system and it was it was kind of like what windows eight parts of Windows yeah. eight came from yeah, and yeah yeah ugh. So
1: oh, I'm the sucker that bought horrible. that. Uh, one of the one of the few. So uh, <laughs> excuse me if I'm still a bit salty. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on.
2: A lot packed into that too. Right, that was
1: awesome. A
2: lot packed into that.
1: Yeah, I was starting to think when I was doing some of the uh, putting the news together. You know, I've been categorizing the news against blockchain, future tech, ARVR, privacy, general world news. It's going to get to the point where we're just going to end up having to do one blockchain episode, one future tech episode, one ARVR episode, one transport episode. Yeah,
2: true. And then it just means that
1: all of our listeners can just get one topic. Just I think that'd
2: be great too because things would feed into each other. We can spend a bit Mm. more time. Mm. I like our theme stuff, man.